Hello everyone, my name is Eric Mercier. I am co-owner of Juice Imports, and today I'm gonna to walk you through the latest edition of our Natural Wine Club. Admittedly, I just got back from Germany about a day ago, and so the jet lag has turned my brain to mush. So I apologize in advance if uh, I'm not making as much sense as usual. I don't believe I actually make sense that often anyways, so I, I feel like nobody will notice uh, you know, any major differences. I'm particularly excited about this month's wine club because it features two wines from the Loire Valley grown uh, only a short distance away from one another, about an hour drive realistically, uh, as well as an orange wine from South Africa, a region that I think is making superb wines uh, from such a variety of climates and grape varieties. So it'll be fun to share those with you today. First up, we have Domaine de la Guerriliere, a producer that we visited uh, in 2019 for the first time, um, but had the opportunity to meet up with uh, Pascal um, earlier this year while we were in France uh, again. Um, Pascal is just so lovely. Her and her husband, Francois, are the ones taking care of this property. Uh, it's been growing grapes for a significant period of time. I think their cellar was built in the 1600s, uh, or at least the older parts of it were. Uh, there have obviously been some renovations, although their concrete tanks that they use for fermentation are like hundreds of years old, uh, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. They also have these beautiful um, paintings on the outside of the actual tanks themselves. Uh, so if you're ever in the neighborhood, um, you should definitely go visit them. Uh, they're in a town called Razin, uh, which is, again, maybe an hour drive south of Tours. So an area that a lot of people who visit the Loire Valley would end up in. Um, the Loire Valley is, you know, not not too far away from uh, from Paris. So if you are visiting France, it's one of the closest regions for you to visit other than Champagne. Uh, I know a lot of people would be tempted to go to Champagne, but I, I feel like the pastoral quality of the Loire Valley is not to be missed. Uh, plus, there's some really amazing castles, uh, you know, built a significant amount of time ago. So it's definitely worth uh, checking out if you get the opportunity. Um, so this is planted on uh, this basically singular hillside. When you're driving there, um, you don't really see a ton of vineyards. You see a lot of uh, things like sunflowers growing and wheat and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and then all of a sudden you get to this amazing hillside where uh, Domaine de la Guerriliere exists. Um, in this case, we have uh, essentially their top Sauvignon Blanc. They make an entry-level Sauvignon Blanc uh, that is quite delicious and dynamic as well too, but uh, Cendrillon, uh, this particular bottling is their like top release of Sauvignon Blanc. Uh, it's wildly complex, it's powerful, it's intensely flavored. Uh, it's, it's everything that I want in Sauvignon Blanc and a little bit more. In fact, uh, it, it over delivers for bang for buck. In my opinion, I think that you'd have to pay, you know, the closest examples to things that are like this are, are definitely, um, Puy Fume, uh, Sancerre. So coming from the neighboring villages, you know, a, a couple hour drive away, but still in the Loire Valley, famous for Sauvignon Blanc or producers like, um, you know, in, in, uh, Bordeaux, who are making exceptional Bordeaux Blanc. Both those styles, whether it be uh, Puy Fumé, um, uh, Sancerre, or Bordeaux Blanc, are going to set you back a lot more money than this bottle is going to. So if you want to understand what absolute top Sauvignon Blanc tastes like, this is absolutely it. 
the vines here are between 40 and 50 years old and have been farmed biodynamically for the last 30 years. Uh, so this is farming at its sort of top level. Um, I feel like they're incredibly connected to their land. Uh, they're, they're people who live on their property uh, and just have this sort of synergy with the vines, with the soil. Um, they really have an understanding of everything that's going on here. Um, this uh, particular plot is really interesting because uh, it has windblown sand over top of flint. Um, so aeolian sand over what the French would call silex. Uh, it's a type of flint stone that uh, is particularly dominant in this area and tends to yield the highest quality, most mineral-driven Sauvignon Blanc. So again, we're talking the best of the best. Um, every year after you prune the canes, uh, you're often burning those canes. Uh, it's starting to become... Uh, the, the government is trying to... to put laws in place where people can't burn the canes of the vines. So the canes are essentially every year when you get that, the growth uh, from your vines, uh, you need to cut that back a little bit in order to make room for new growth the following year. And so all that stuff that you cut off, um, there's a handful of different things you can do with it. And, and the most common, especially in places like the Loire Valley, are, are burning them. Um, Unlike most producers, though, what they're doing is they're taking the ash from that, mixing it with water, and then adding it back to the vineyard, um, kind of this fast-acting compost. Um, ash is, uh, you know, it adds a certain amount of acidity, it adds a certain amount of carbon back to the soil, um, and it's it's sort of this, you know, sort of circle of life sort of situation. A lot of our producers have actually moved towards mulching um, or compost, which is, uh, again, a little more... Uh, environmentally viable, but this is a really historic way of, of you know, using up your canes. Um, I have some really great pictures of, of them doing this in Burgundy because I happen to be there at about that time of year. Um, anyways, when it comes to winemaking here, it's, it's nothing too crazy. Uh, they're pressing the grapes really lightly, uh, allowing it the juice to settle in tank, and then they're racking it. So that means that they're allowing as many of the solid parts of the juice to sink to the bottom uh, for anybody who's like fresh squeezed any type of juice and then left it in their fridge for an hour, you'll notice that it separates really quite quickly. So imagine pressing, you know, a couple tons of grapes and then allowing that juice to sit in a cold underground cellar for a day. Uh, a lot of those solids are going to end up on the bottom of the tank. Then they're just taking the clear juice off of that and then aging it in a combination of tank and in barrel. Um, there's this particular part of their winery that uh, all, most of their winery is kind of like underground in the side of the, in the hillside. Um, but there's a part of their winery that is this kind of weird tunnel that goes between their house, uh, and the winery itself. And this is the oldest part of the cellar as, as far as I know. And this is where those barrels live. It is a really eerie place. It has this weird sort of underground energy to it that's kind of hard to describe but after being down there I just understand this wine a lot more um I think this wine just has like so much power and, and so much I don't know nervousness to it it's, it's a really cool bottle um Included in this note, I wrote that there's a light filtration before bottling. Uh, this is not every year, but 
um, I reached out to uh, to Pascal and wasn't able to get information about whether or not they filtered this year. Uh, when they do, it's a super light filtration. You're still going to end up with a small amount of settlement sediment. Um, they're just doing a light filtration to make sure that they're getting rid of, uh, you know, any big pieces of matter, essentially. Um, it allows them to bottle a little bit earlier as well. Um, this is coming from the 2020 vintage, which is considered, you know, sort of one of the best of the best vintages. Um, some people might be getting 2021, but I'm pretty sure this is all from the 2020 vintage. Uh, 2020 vintage, just like absolutely amazing, uh, really powerful wines. It was a hot season, uh, perfect growing conditions uh, across the board. Um, definitely resulted in fuller bodied wines, especially in the reds. They're really brightly colored darkly colored um and uh and the whites are, are again quite muscular this is clocking in at 13 percent alcohol so definitely on the higher side for wines we work with i know that that's still low in the grand scheme of things but you know we have a particular palate that tends to like lower alcohol and this is at sort of uh you know traditionally this would be medium alcohol but for us this is on that upper end of you know powerful white wines uh aromatically this wine is again incredibly complex uh you're getting a lot of the traditional Sauvignon Blanc characteristics, some of those herbal elements, but because they're harvesting this so ripe, it tends to have a lot of uh, a lot less of those uh, outwardly green characteristics that we'd associate with it. There's less of that really true green pepper, um, the kind of capsicum quality that Sauvignon Blanc is known for. Uh, this is usually this usually only happens when the grapes are underripe, and their grapes are perfectly ripe uh, especially in a vintage like 2020 um, they're getting full ripeness out of their grapes and so you're definitely getting fewer of those uh, herbal elements you're getting more tropical fruit uh, you're getting more tree fruits you're getting more stone fruits uh, and these are, are some of the flavors that I really like I was definitely under the impression that I didn't like Sauvignon Blanc for a really long time until I had Domaine de la Garellière and I was like wow I just didn't know that it could taste like this uh, and that was after, you know, six years of working in the wine business before I, I discovered, uh, discovered these guys. Uh, so I think you'll be absolutely blown away. For me, Sauvignon Blanc, specifically Loire Valley Sauvignon Blanc, is an incredible pairing for goat cheese. So I listed a couple of my favorites in the pairing suggestions for this month. So make sure you check out uh, our website for all those lovely little details. The next wine that we have is from Laurent Sayard. Uh, Laurent Sayard, one of my favorite people. Uh, he's, I don't know, just so honest and, and you know, true to himself and uh, has lived like a really crazy life. Uh, again, I'll let you read more about that on our, our website. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, but to dive a little bit into the wine, uh, this is made from a grape variety that most people aren't really familiar with. Um, you know, maybe before... I go any further, I'll say, you know, pause this video and think to yourself how many different grape varieties you can name um, that are traditionally grown in the Loire Valley. Uh, so if you feel like pausing, you can pause now, list them out, and then I'll, I'll do the same in a second here and see how many I can come up with. Uh, but this particular wine is made from Pinot Doni, um, but two different types of Pinot Doni. Uh, like many different grape varieties, you can have um, multiple versions of the same grape variety. So, um, you know, there's, there's many different versions of this, uh, you know, Pinot Noir, Pinot Blanc, Pinot Gris, Pinot Meunier, 
all Pinot, all coming from the same family, but micromutations. Uh, and so this is made from traditional Pinot Donis and then Pinot Donis Tinsurier, which is uh, Pinot Nodis, but with red flesh. Most people don't realize most red grape varieties actually have clear juice and they get all their color from maceration. Uh, so again, taking the juice of the grape and macerating it with the grape skins, that's how they get all their color versus Pinot Donis Tinsurier is actually getting all of its color from, not all of its color, but a lot of its color from the actual juice itself, which is bright, bright red. Uh, okay, so let's see how many grape varieties we can we can name from uh, from the Loire Valley, um, or that are traditionally grown in the Loire Valley. We got Chenin Blanc, absolutely essential. Uh, Menu Pinot. Um, we've got uh, obviously Pinot Donis, uh, Pinot Donis Tinsurier, Sauvignon Blanc, Sauvignon Gris, uh, which is a cool one that you don't really see that often. Grolo. Uh, Cote, which is a local version of Malbec, uh, Melon de Bourgogne, um, what am I missing here? Pinot Noir grows there traditionally, Cabernet Franc, oh my goodness, how could I forget Cabernet Franc, uh, sometimes called Breton. Um, we've got Cabernet Sauvignon, a lot of people don't realize that Cabernet Sauvignon is, is secretly kind of a traditional great variety in this area. Uh, you don't see it much anymore, but uh, you know, in certain parts, you can definitely see some of it. Um, what else am I missing? I feel like I'm missing some important ones here, but either way, lots of different grape varieties grown in this area. Uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll come up with, uh, a couple more. Gosh, I'm trying to remember the one that, that grows in, uh, grows near the coast. And I think it might even be a hybrid grape variety. Anyways, there's a lot of grape varieties grown in this area. So if you aren't, aren't familiar with Pinot Doni, you don't need to feel, uh, too bad. Um, it's definitely uh, definitely an exciting one, though. Uh, this uh, particular grape variety was ripped up for a lot of reasons. Uh, it used to be planted a lot more, and then uh, now they're planting... Uh, oh, Gamay. Gamay Noir. That's the other one that I was thinking of that's uh, that's important. Uh, anyway, sorry. Pinot Donis was uh, ripped up a lot over the last, you know, 100 years or so uh, and replanted with grape varieties that are a little bit more popular um, Pinot Donis has a really distinctive pepperiness that's very similar to Syrah, but with lighter body that's more similar to uh, Gamay Noir, Pinot Noir, great varieties like that. Um, and so a lot of people planted Cabernet Franc, which tends to make more powerful wines, darker colored wines for sure, uh, and is a little less hectic to grow. Pinot Donis is apparently quite sporadic. And so um, you just don't see as much of it planted, unfortunately. But for me, it's one of the best grape varieties in the Loire. Um, every time I see one, I really take an opportunity to grab them. I wish more producers made them, and I wish more producers started planting this grape variety because I think we have a lot to learn from it. Uh, that spiciness, that floral quality, but the light body is unreal. Uh, we're only clocking in at 11.5% alcohol today. So it's, uh, you know, amazingly drinkable, despite the fact that it is incredibly uh, flavorful. It's definitely got some of that Loire Valley funk to it. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm starting to like the word funk less and less, and I'm trying to find alternatives for it, but it's impossible to, uh, to describe specifically uh, the characteristics of a red wine from the Loire Valley without talking about uh, some of this funk. 
Um, also, to give you maybe a little sneak peek of something coming in the future, we have another Loire Valley wine coming up in, uh, I can't remember, it's next month or the month following, but stay tuned for even more Loire Valley wines because I cannot stop myself. Uh, <laughs> again, a lot of these things were planned literally you know, six to 12 months ago. Um, we really tried to get ahead of things, so I, I think you're going to be very excited about the lineup. Um, so this particular wine came out of necessity. Uh, essentially, Laurent, um, you know, lost most of his crop for a bunch of years in a row to frost and hail. Uh, they've had a couple really, really bad seasons. I think 2022 is actually shaping up really nicely, though. Um, but in 2021, they were just decimated. And so fortunately, they were able to collaborate with uh, his neighbor, Julian Moreau, um, who has his own little little winery, Domaine de uh, Cambalou, I believe. Um, and, uh, and, and basically what Julian did was sell some of his grapes. Uh, he grows more grapes than he can make wine, essentially. And so uh, Laurent was able to buy some grapes off of him. And, uh, you know, he's essentially right down the street, uh, you know, in the, in the neighboring village, which is, gosh, like 20 minutes away or something like that. Um, and so, you know, he's able to work with grapes that he doesn't uh, have planted on his own farm. Uh, Laurent farms mostly uh, Gamay, um, Sauvignon Blanc, and Chardonnay. Uh, again, Chardonnay, maybe one that I left off that, uh, that lineup, but it is grown somewhat traditionally in the Loire Valley. I'd be curious to know the, the entire history of uh, Chardonnay in the Loire Valley. Uh, you don't see it that often, but you, you're starting to see it a little bit more. Uh, I think it traditionally maybe made it into blends, which is why, you know, we, we don't see it quite as much. Um, either way, so Laurent doesn't have uh, much Pinot Donis planted on uh, on his property, so it's this is a cool opportunity for him to make one that's a little more accessible, uh, a little more affordable, and uh, and, you know, I think just like ridiculously delicious. Last year, we only got this wine in Magnums. So this is a nice opportunity for us to drink them in regular size bottles. I know not everybody can commit to a Magnum, but once you open this, you're going to wish you had a Magnum. Uh, it is ridiculous. I, I could write for days about how this tastes, uh, but really I just want to like throw my hands up in the air and, and, you know, scream and shout because I just think it's such a fun wine to drink. This is the exact uh, combination of drinkability and complexity that I always hunt for in wines. Uh, again, it gives me all that satiation that something like Beaujolais does, where it's, you know, as, as much for your, your soul as it is for your brain. Um, again, for, for pairings here, I went as minimalist as possible. Uh, you know, I'm thinking of all the wine bars that I've been to in France, and, and this is the exact style that I would want to drink. Uh, you know, on a on an autumn night, uh, you know, standing up outside outside the wine bar, uh, you know, sitting on the cobblestone street, uh, you know, crushing, essentially just like dried sausages and and things like that. So I, I think that you should keep the pairing uh, again somewhat minimalist here. Um, our last wine today, we're going completely around the world uh, from France, uh, almost as far away as you can go, and we're going to visit uh, Stellenbosch, so South Africa. South African wines, for me, uh, will always have a really uh, a soft spot. I think it's one of the most beautiful countries on planet Earth, uh, so wickedly diverse everywhere from, you know, sort of desert uh, to coastal areas to 
mountains to, again, it's really, really all over the place. Um, and so for me, this is such a great expression of Stellenbosch. Um, Stellenbosch is located sort of adjacent to Cape Town. Uh, you're looking just east of Cape Town and it's a fairly large region. So depending on where you are, uh, within that region, you'll end up with entirely different, um, soil types, different climates, uh, further you go inland, the hotter it's going to be, the closer you are to the coast, um, the cooler it's going to be. Uh, and again, speaking about weird soil types, um, this is uh, a soil type called uh, coffee clip or coffee stone. Um, again, I apologize if my Afrikaans is, is uh, incorrect. Uh, I'm sure somebody will correct me at some point. Um, but it's uh, these really sort of like coffee colored rocks uh, that are heavily influenced by iron oxides. Um, it, this is way different than what you'd see in most of this area. You see a lot of sandstone, you see a lot of granite. Uh, and this is, this is again, like a completely different color. It yields wines that are way different. Um, for me, this wine being made from Pinot Gris, it really picks up some of that spicy, again, I want to say irony characteristics of it. Uh, I hate to be, you know, again, I'm the, I'm the first to say that the vines are not uptaking terroir and and putting it directly into uh, into the grapes, but at the same time, this wine has this uh, sort of base note to it, this this sort of grounded, spicy quality to it um, that I can't help but associate with those uh, iron rich soils. So again, you'll you'll forgive me, I'm sure, for uh, for you know the comparison, I suppose. Um, this is made by our friends Mick and Janine Craven. Uh, they're some of the kindest people that I've ever met. Uh, I can't wait till they can come over to Canada one day. Uh, hopefully that'll be in the near future. I think it'd be so much fun to, to do tastings with them and, and for everybody to get to know them as, uh, as well as we do. Um, we've been working with them for quite a while now, and every year I'm excited to taste the new vintage of Pinot Gris. Um, this particular year is going to be a little bit lighter in body. Again, I think most of you are getting the 2021, but some of you might be getting 2020. The 2020 is going to be a little bit more powerful, a little bit more earthy, spicy, um, kind of herbal, like dried herbs and stuff like that. Uh, versus the 2021 is going to be a little bit lighter in body, a little more citrusy, uh, a little bit more floral. Uh, again, there's not going to be like massive differences between them, but at the same time, like there's definitely minor uh, vintage variation. So something, you know, if you end up liking one of them, it's definitely worth seeking out the other ones so you can taste multiple vintages. Um, this is always the wine that they harvest earliest. Er, earliest. Uh, again, this is the jet lag coming out finally. Um, and so they're often harvesting in January, uh, you know, first week of January, second week of January. Sometimes they're even harvesting around Christmas. Uh, I want to say that they, they might have done that this year. I can't totally remember. Um, either way, it's just ridiculously early for them to be, uh, to, to be, you know, picking grapes essentially. Uh, and this is made like a true orange wine. Um, the grapes are destemmed and then fermented on skins for, for six days. Um, they do punch downs and pump overs the same way you would with a red wine. So again, trying to get the juice in contact with the grape skin. So you're extracting more color. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Google, you know, Pinot Gris grapes, and you'll notice that they're not white. They're actually pink, uh, pretty dark pink, almost purple. Um, they almost look like red wine grapes. And so when you ferment them on the skins, they develop this really sort of 
rose gold, kind of orangey, coppery color. Uh, and so I think you'll all fall in love with the color of this wine in such a spectacular way. Um, it definitely has some texture to it, but the tannins aren't over the top. Uh, I've had examples of skin-fermented Pinot Gris from producers like Radicon, for instance, that are massive and powerful and tannic, uh, so that mouth-gripping quality versus this, uh, this is way more sort of delicate and soft and supple, um, but still definitely has uh, some of those quinine-like kind of bitter qualities to them. Uh, really just such an amazing food wine. Uh, really pairable with a wide variety of foods. But again, since we're on kind of the charcuterie train, um, I would say in particular dry kind of umami cheeses. Um, that's kind of the direction that uh, that I would like to go with this, like Hollerhocker, like, uh, again, apologies for mispronouncing absolutely everything today. My, my brain is incapable. Uh, but things like that, things like aged Gouda, I think uh, those sort of nuttier, more sort of umami cheeses are, are going to uh, really go the distance for you here. Even things like good Parmesan, like I, I feel like Parmesan as, a, as an eating cheese is underrated. Uh, I am definitely known to, to take down a bite or two of, uh, of Parmesan on its own. Uh, totally worth it, especially when you get those like little crystals on the inside. Mm, absolutely delicious. Uh, anyways, I'm going to keep this month short. Uh, you know, we're still at almost 30 minutes of me rambling realistically. Um, but we'll, we'll, you know, keep it fairly short. There's tons of really great, uh, information on our website about each of these winemakers as well too. So if you want to dive deeper into that, I, I strongly suggest visiting those pages. Um, we also have photos from a handful of these wineries, which is cool. Um, so if you want to learn more through that, again, those are on our, our webpage. And if you like any of these producers, seek out their other wines as well. Uh, they each make quite an extensive range, and I think that uh, the consistency is is really true across the across the board. So um, yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed this month. Uh, I'm really looking forward to the next month already. Uh, and we're still looking for more people for the wine club. So, you know, if you have friends that you think would enjoy this, definitely pass on the information. Um, you know, we haven't done a ton of advertising over the, the last couple of years with the wine club, just kind of keeping it chill. Uh, but we kind of want to expand it a little bit. So if you want to help us out with that, that would be absolutely amazing. Uh, it just makes all the work that we put into it, uh, you know, a little bit more feasible. So anyways, thank you so much for listening. Uh, looking forward to chatting with you all next month. Cheers.